job this morning for music. Uh, Jeff was telling me this week he wanted to sing uh, all songs about heaven because we were obviously studying about heaven in this part of the book of Revelation. And, and I saw the songs and I thought, man, the young people are going to have a, a problem. Uh, they're going to want to know what a yonder is. I don't, I don't think any young people have ever heard of the term yonder. Uh, it means over there. And not even in the Greek. It's just English. It just means over there, uh, up yonder. So uh, maybe, maybe our young folks learned some stuff this morning. Uh, great songs, and I appreciate all the hard work the, the music folks do to bless us and lead us in worship. We'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Revelation chapter 21 and uh, verse 6. We learned last week, uh, as we move into these last two chapters of the book of Revelation, that these chapters, uh, chapters 21 and 22, are, uh, are about a future time, uh, really an eternity, when time as we know it's over, when human history has ended. And uh, I go over this order of events just about every week or every other week because uh, really a lot of Christians don't understand what's coming. And so... I figure if I say it enough, and enough people hear it, uh, it'll some of it'll stick. But the next, the next thing to happen is the rapture of the church, uh, and that could happen at any time. The Bible says that it's imminent, um, meaning it can happen. There's nothing to prevent Jesus Christ from calling His church out of the world. Um, I, I think there's only probably two reasons why He waits, why He's not raptured the church at this point, is because there's more people that are going to be saved, that are going to be rapture the church until those people are in the church. And secondly, the world, uh, as we see, is going to get much worse. It's going gonna, it's gonna to degrade more, and we see that even in our own country, in immorality and, and moving away from God. So the next event is the rapture of the church, and then, of course, the seven-year tribulation, and we, we talked about that in great detail, and I remind everyone, those online, if you're interested in studying the book of Revelation and you just joined us in this series at some point in the last few weeks or maybe today for the first time, you can go to the archives on our website and find the whole series is recorded there for you. After the seven-year tribulation, of course, at the end of that will be the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus will return uh, with the hosts of heaven and he'll speak and there'll be destroyed. And Antichrist and the false prophet will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire forever. Uh, and then Satan will be bound and put in, a, and put in the abyss for a thousand years. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, that during that thousand years, Jesus will rule on the earth in what's known as his kingdom maze, the millennial kingdom. All the promises to Israel will be fulfilled. He'll rule from Jerusalem. And, and the earth, there'll be people here will be born, and, and there'll be uh, no war, no pain, no suffering. There'll be no poverty. Jesus will provide everything the world needs, and he will rule uh, with a rod of iron because he's the law, but it'll be in perfection. And uh, so that thousand-year period will take place. And at the end of that thousand years, God will release Satan from the abyss for a short period. He'll lead a last rebellion. Fire will come down from heaven, destroy all those who rebel against God. And then human history at that point, as we know it, will be over. The great white throne judgment will take place uh, where all the lost of all the ages will appear before God. And the Bible says they will give an account for their deeds meaning those who, who don't come to Christ in this life and accept him and be saved by faith have to answer for the things they do in this life, have to answer for their sin. God is just and he's fair. Uh, and we see that today in that he doesn't destroy us right now. In other words, he gives us opportunity to be saved. 
And after the great white throne judgment, uh, eternity begins. Uh, we saw last week that this earth that we live on and the universe that we know will not be the one that goes into eternity. God will destroy it. The earth will be destroyed by fire. The heavens will be destroyed by fire. Now, there are some theologians, just for the technical clarity here, who believe that this earth will be remade, that it won't be replaced, that the universe will be remade. I disagree with that because uh, the Bible specifically says nothing that defiles or has been defiled will enter God's perfect creation, and this earth is, is uh, tainted by sin, and so are we, and that's why we're going to get new bodies. This body is not going to be reformed and taken to eternity. Amen. I'm going to get a brand new one, okay? And so we're going to go into eternity with new body, uh, a new earth, and a new heaven. And so having understood that last week, we didn't get a lot of details about the new earth. God, for his own uh, sovereign reasons, chooses not to tell us everything. He did say one thing, though. The new earth would not have seas on it, would not have oceans and large bodies of waters. And we talked about that. Uh, That'll make that earth a little different. But the fact is it'll be suited the heavens, the new heavens, and new earth will be suited to our resurrection bodies and to eternity. Uh, and whatever state and whatever capacity that it's in, I can assure you this, it'll be marvelous. God will make it wonderful. Now, what I'd like us to focus on for a few minutes this morning is the new Jerusalem. Now, we talked a little bit last week about the fact that, that a, new, a new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven when eternity begins. And in the passage this morning, Uh, I want us to look at some details about it. John tells us some things about that new Jerusalem. Again, all of our curiosities are not satisfied. There's a lot of things I'd like to know about my my dwelling place, my mansion. I said to someone one day, I said, you know, the Bible doesn't really say mansions. It's a dwelling place. And he goes, no, mine's a mansion. I said, okay, it's a mansion. So we're going to have a mansion in heaven, streets of gold and all that stuff. Um, It didn't give us a lot of detail about it. But what it does tell us is very interesting. Now, if you look back up at verse 2 of chapter 21, John said, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, we said a few things about this city as it comes down uh, either to hover over the new earth or close to the new earth or sitting on it. The Bible doesn't tell us, and it's really futile to try to figure that out. But it'll be in close proximity to the new earth in some way or form that this new city will be actually the capital, we might call it the capital of God's new universe. It's going to be the place where the throne of God is at. Uh, It's the place where God's presence will dwell with us, his redeemed, for all the redeemed of all the ages. So uh, we could call it the capital. It's our home. It's where we're going to, listen, you might move from house to house in this earth. And in my life, I've had several houses moving around the military. But in heaven, when you get your dwelling place, that's your place forever. That's your, that's, that's an eternal home. And so this new Jerusalem comes down, and it's where we, it's our home. It's where we live. It's that, that place where we will dwell. And it is a, it is a city uh, of worship. God will be there. His presence will be there. Uh, he'll dwell with his people in, in, in intimate fellowship, and we'll be able to worship with him. And listen, I, I don't, again, your, your mind, our minds can only speculate in some of these things, but Jesus will be there in his resurrection body. I mean, you'll be able to look at him and see him in his resurrection body, the nail prints in his hands, the scars, the whole deal, uh, reminding us forever that he died on the cross to pay for our sin. It, it, is, beyond, it is almost beyond conception that we can, we can sit down, 
hang our feet off the wall of Jerusalem, if you will, and talk to Jesus for an hour and say, hey, you know, I got some questions about stuff. Can I ask you? And then he will fellowship with us in, so, in, in the marvelous way that that'll be. And so that's the new Jerusalem that comes down. Now, the first thing I want us to consider is um, who, who's going to live in this city? Who are the citizens and who, who is excluded from this city? which are very important issues that we need to understand. So look at verse 6, Revelation 21. We dealt a little bit with this verse last week, so we won't do it in depth. But notice what he says. And he said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Now look at verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Verse 8. But the cowardly. Uh, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Uh, ominous verses. Let's think about what it says here. First of all, the citizenship of heaven. There are two groups identified in those verses. The first group are those who will inhabit the New Jerusalem, and the second group is those who will not be allowed in the New Jerusalem and will not inhabit it. Let's talk about the first group of those who will be citizens. John calls us who are saved, calls those citizens of Jerusalem that will live there forever. He uses the term overcomers, overcomers. That simply means those who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, it means those who have overcome the world in Jesus. Now, you know, you are wise enough to know as Christians that we don't overcome the world in our own abilities. We don't overcome the world because we're so strong or dominant or that we've reached some level of spirituality that we just overcome sin because in this life you will never reach that point. But as overcomers in Jesus Christ, we have overcome the world in his power, in him, in his sacrifice, and it's all by faith. It's all by putting our faith in him, surrendering our heart to them. This group, listen, this group includes all saved people from all of human history. Anybody in the Old Testament, anybody uh, antediluvian before the flood, anybody who trusted God by faith. As, and listen, those Old Testament saints exhibited their faith in God by their sacrificial system, by their participation in bringing their offerings. You understand this, it wasn't the blood of animals that pardoned their sin in the Old Testament. That blood of those animals represented the blood of Christ that was coming, and by offering those sacrifices, they believed God was sending a sacrifice to take care of their sin. So they believed God by faith, just like Abraham did. So it is, it is a, a city where, us, where we as citizens, those who have overcome, will have fellowship with God, worship, uh, service to God, and joy, and, and fellowship together as born-again believers in Christ. See, I don't know if you like this idea or not, but... As my brothers and sisters of Christ, you're going to have to put up with me forever in eternity. I mean, we're, you know, I'm going to find out where your mansion's at. And, and I might just come by and check on you every now and then. Uh, I don't know if you have to still be a pastor in heaven or not. Probably not. But I can come by and say hi wherever your mansion's at in heaven. That's what this new Jerusalem's going to be like. And, I, and, I, and listen, Moses is going to have a mansion up there somewhere. And so is Noah. And, and all those Old Testament saints, David... I think David, this is a whole other theological debate, but David's going to have some really big stuff to do with Jesus because you know, the Bible intimates that. The thing is, the New Jerusalem's going to be a really neat place to be. I mean, it's going to be a neat place. I think you can spend uh, eternity walking around figuring it out. You'll see in a minute how big it's going to be. 
uh, and walking won't be an issue because we'll be in our new resurrection body and we can be where we want and get there, but a place of joy and a place of fellowship. Now, let's talk about being an overcomer for a minute. So how do we know that being an overcomer means, means being saved? Well, in 1 John 5, 4 and 5, listen to what John says. Same guy, by the way, who's receiving this from God. He says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Listen, you want to be an overcomer today? You want to overcome this wicked world? You want to overcome the sin and the, and, and the debauchery and the, and the plagues of this world? Come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. Put your faith in him. Surrender your heart to him. Confess your sin, and Jesus will save you. Now, the promise, the promise for those who are overcomers is in verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's a great promise. Inherit all things. What does that mean? It means inherit all things. It means, it means whatever God has, whatever God creates in his new universe, in his new, in his new earth, it's yours. It's yours to have. It's yours to enjoy. It's yours to participate in. You know, your children, and, and he says, you'll be my son. Our children, and I've said to my children, all of them, you know, this is your home. This, you know, sometimes I come and say, can I, can I eat that? I say, if it's in the house, you can eat it. I mean, nobody's name on it. You can eat it. It's yours, okay? Can I drink some of that? Yes, you can have some of that. If you drink it all, tell me so I'll go get some more, but yes. And Hunter drinks it all most of the time, yes. I don't know what, I'm going to embarrass him when he gets here for a second service. That boy can eat two Big Macs and, oh my goodness, he eats a lot. But that's, that's another thing. But, it, but, if it, but the point is, we say to our children, do we not? Look, it's your home. You are, you are my son. You're my daughter. What I have, you have. And, and what I have, you can, fr you can freely enjoy and do whatever you want. Now listen, God's the same way with us. You're my children. I redeemed you. I bought you. You're my son. You're my daughter. And whatever I have, it's yours. Whatever I have, you can enjoy it. And that's what the new Jerusalem is going to be, be like. We can, we can enjoy uh, all that God uh, has created and all that he has. It's ours. He's our heavenly father. And again, the human mind, you, you think about that and ponder that, how wonderful that will be. And I, and I, I've measured in terms like this. There's, I've been around the world a couple of times and traveled around the world in the military. There are, there are some magnificently beautiful places in the world. In this country, there's beautiful places. I mean, I've stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon and looked at that thing and think, wow, what, you know, what, what just majesty. And I've looked at mountains and I've been up on the top of mountains and looked as far as the eye can see. And this, and this world's, this world's defective because of sin. Think of the beauty that must have been here before Adam fell. Think of the beauty of this creation before that happened, and heaven will be that way, and the new Jerusalem will be that way. There will be no imperfections there. Now, those are the citizens of heaven. If you're a born-again child of God, you are a citizen of heaven. And by the way, your citizenship in heaven uh, is as good today as it will be 10,000 years from now or 10 million years from now. You're a citizen of heaven. Now, let's talk about the part that's not so, so nice. Let's talk about those who will be excluded uh, from, from the New Jerusalem. We find that in verse 8. Look at it again. John said, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now let me make sure you understand something here and that we understand something here. To commit one of these sins 
is not automatically to be categorized as one who's just going to go to the lake of fire because God's given you the opportunity right now to be saved. Everybody understand that? What this list of sins, and it's not comprehensive, by the way, this is not a list of every sin that would cause a person to not be a citizen of, of the New Jerusalem. This list of sins represents uh, a lifestyle. Everybody listen very carefully. It represents a person who has said no to God and has embraced a lifestyle that reflects their lostness. Is everybody following me? Okay. God's not saying that if you have committed one of these sins, because even if you've not committed one of these sins in actual act, we've probably all thought of one of these sins mentally or in intent, and so we're all guilty of them. Okay, everybody understand that? What I'm saying is what in what John's listing and what God's saying here is this that these are if these sins are indicative of a person's normative lifestyle, then that is an indication that they do not know Christ and that they're lost in their sin. And what he's saying is that lost men and women who live in a purposeful, rebellious state against God cannot enter into God's new Jerusalem because they're lost. And later it will say nothing that is defiled, nothing that's unclean, nothing that is not perfectly holy will be allowed into God's perfect new creation, which means a lost man or woman will spend eternity in the lake of fire paying for their sin rather than enjoying uh, the new Jerusalem. Is everybody following that now, okay? Now, let's talk about this list here and, and how it is indicative of a person who might be lost. And the first one is cowardly, cowardly. Well, what's that in reference to? It's in reference to Jesus always. And you say, well, how would a person be cowardly with reference to Jesus? It would mean a person chooses to not embrace the rebuke of the world for following Christ and would rather have the accolades of the world, and so they're a coward. They won't, they won't come to Jesus and be saved because they're afraid of the ridicule and the persecution. Now, if you're saved, you understand that ridicule for being a Christian is a real thing. And being excluded because you're a Christian is a real thing. And it's going to become even worse in this country. It's, it's coming to a point now where, where if, if Christianity, for instance, gets labeled a hate group or a group that's even, um, uh, you know, some group that's dangerous to the government, we could come under serious persecution for the things that we say, regardless of the First Amendment. Okay? So it's coming. Just be prepared for it. Well, there may be people who say, I'm not willing to pay... I'm not willing to pay the price to stand with Jesus, so I'm going to stand with the world. A person who does that is lost. A person who does that is simply choosing the world over Jesus Christ. I don't have time to go there, but in Matthew 13, you remember the parable of the, of the sower and the seed, right? And, and the sower goes out and he sows the seed. The seed's the word of God, and the various soils are the hearts of man. And so the first place the seed fell was on the pathway, the, way, uh, the wayside. Well, that ground's all packed down and it's hard and the word never even penetrates that person's heart because they're just sold into the world. And Satan comes and snatches the word away and it has no effect, okay? And there are people in the world like that. And then, and then it goes on, on uh, stony ground or shallow ground, which really has to do with this cowardly. The person receives the word and goes, man, that's great. I need to be saved. And yeah, maybe they even come forward and they join the church. But then when persecution comes, when, when some challenge comes to their Christianity, they're, they're not willing to pay the price. And so they give up their faith and they go back to the way they came. And listen, the Bible says if a person goes back, they never had it in the first place. So they were 
cowardly. And then, of course, the third seed is in the thorny ground. The person hears the gospel, but they like the world so much and they like their sin so much that the joy of their sin chokes out the reality of the word and so they never get saved. And then, of course, the, the fourth soil was the good soil, was the heart that's prepared, receives the word. The word takes root. The person is born again by faith in Jesus. And then there's evidence in their life that they're saved because it begins to bear fruit of some kind to some degree. So listen, the, the cowardly will not be in the new Jerusalem. And listen, if that's you today, if you're afraid of the world, I would suggest you be more afraid of God, okay? If you're afraid of the world, I would suggest you be more afraid of judgment for your sin. Uh, the world, in the worst case scenario, as the Bible says, can kill you, but that's the worst they can do. They can kill this body, but they can't touch my soul because I got a house in the New Jerusalem, all right? And they can't take that away from me. So I would suggest don't be cowardly when it comes to Jesus. Very quickly, unbelieving, what does that mean? Well, that's a lifestyle of rejecting the truth. That's simply a lifestyle of saying <clears throat> agnosticism, uh, atheism, uh, pick one, anyisms. And it's, some, it's a life of saying, I reject the truth. It's a life of saying, I reject what God says, and I'm going to be my own. I, I refuse to believe. I have conversations with people all the time who, you know, who will say to me, well, you know, uh, society determines what's true, and, you know, and we, and we kind of determine what's right and wrong. And I go, no, not at all. That's not true. And, and, and listen, talking to them in a worldview that's a secular humanistic worldview is like talking to that wall because they refuse to believe. And a refusal to believe the truth of God's word and that there is an absolute truth and there's a God who created everything is unbelieving. And a person who lives that lifestyle will not be in the New Jerusalem. Why? Because they won't be saved. They won't believe God. They won't come. How about abominable? That's not the snowman. What, abominable. What does that mean? Abominable really is a word that means vile and polluted. It, listen, you would agree with me. You've probably seen people... There are, there are some people who are not only content with resisting God, who are not only content with, with not accepting the truth of God's word, but they purposely pursue things that are wicked. They purposely know what God said is wrong and do it anyway. In other words, they set their heart against God. They won't be in the New Jerusalem. Those people who are abominable, who submit themselves and turn themselves over to wickedness. Now, do you see how all of these are lifestyles? You see how a person can embrace this lifestyle? And God's simply saying they won't be in the new Jerusalem. And what about murderers? Now, I'm not going to get into it, but uh, the Bible teaches capital, capital punishment under the authority of government to maintain law and order. But in this case, what it's talking about is people who kill other people for vengeance, out of hate, out of personal gain, out of any motive that would promote themselves simply because they don't like somebody or because they got to prove themselves to a group or be part. Listen, murder. The Bible says we're not to take human life. We're not to take human life that, that we don't have a right on an individual basis to take human life. Even in Israel, there was a process that went through for capital punishment or for a person who committed a capital crime, but we don't have the right to be vigilantes as we would put it in today's, in today's vernacular. Listen, there's not, a, there's not a day goes by I don't turn on the news and somebody kills somebody. Somebody, uh, you know, shoveling snow and mad because whatever, you threw the snow on my car and they shoot somebody or they run them down. Or, it's craziness. The Bible says a person who lives like that with that kind of anger and that kind of rebellion against God won't be in the New Jerusalem. They won't be there. And then uh, number five, sexual immorality, sexually immoral. Well, here it is. 
we could have a long discussion about this, but let me just cut right to the chase. The Bible says there's one, one area that we are to exercise human sexuality, and that's in the marriage union. A husband and a wife, man and a woman, for life. It's in that area where human sexuality is a gift from God, and it's free to be used and enjoy it all you want to do. But any exercising of human sexuality outside the bonds of marriage, boys and girls living together, young people sleeping together before they get married, husbands cheating on their wives, wives cheating on their husbands, adultery, two men together, two women together, and the list is long. You can, you can call it whatever you want. Listen to me very carefully. All of that stuff is sin, period, in a discussion. All of that stuff is sin. Now, that's not, listen, somebody's going to watch this online and, you know, listen, you can get mad, you can get glad. You can get mad, you can jump up and down, get angry. God said, God said, that stuff's sin. End of discussion. We don't need to debate it. It's sin. People who choose to reject God's standard, and I'm not talking about somebody who's committed a sexual sin and then confess. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody can commit a sin and God will forgive any sin. But a person who chooses a lifestyle to purposely live in a sinful lifestyle indicates that they don't know Christ and they're not getting into New Jerusalem. They're not going there. They're not living there and they're not saved. And this nonsense, and it is nonsense, about people who live blatantly in rebellion against God's word, thinking that they're saved, they're not. God said it. I didn't say it. You want to get mad at me? Get mad at me. The fact is, God said it. Take it up with God. Get on your knees. Ask God what he thinks. See, people who want to live in sexual immorality won't do that because they already know what God's going to say. Okay? And they don't want to do that. So their perpetual lifestyle means that they're not saved. And then finally, the last two or three here real quick. Sorcerers and idolaters. What are sorcerers? The word comes from a word, sorcerers here comes from a word that, that we get our word pharmacies from, pharmacia. What he's saying there is abusers of drugs, of mood-altering drugs, and those who are in the occult give indication of their lives that they're not saved. And they're not getting into, into New Jerusalem. In our society today, if I, had to, if I had to list a list of things that our society is completely corrupt with, at the top of the list would be immorality. People have lost their minds. I mean, people, I mean the world is, is, a, is awash with every form of immorality the human heart can imagine. That's got to be top of the list. And it's an abomination before God, by the way. So just take that whether you like it or not. Secondly would be, would be this very thing right here drugs and, and the occult. There is such a movement today in our society, and I don't want to take the time to look up a bunch of stats and stand here and give them all to you because this is just one part of what we're studying today. But understand this, our society today, people are consumed with wanting to feel good with drug use and, and, and recreational drug use. And I'm not talking about medication that the doctor prescribes for you for a medical condition. I'm talking about people who want to get high and want to be intoxicated, and alcohol falls in that group. We could talk about that as well. And, and what people are doing, listen to me, what people are doing is, is there seems Satan is such a liar. He says, man, there's so much fun and sin. Come get in this lifestyle. And then it causes such depression 
and such mental anguish and such emotional stress that people look for escapes with drugs and chemicals. And it's just a vicious cycle until they die. And society's up with it. And people are just given to it. And what God's saying here is those who, who are given to that lifestyle have begun that downward path. They're not citizens of the New Jerusalem. Why? Because they're not overcomers. They're not saved. Do this for homework, okay? Those who are taking notes or remember this for you geniuses that never forget anything, remember this. Go home and read Romans chapter 1. Here's what you're going to find in Romans chapter 1. Paul says, he, he walks, listen, Romans chapter 1 is, is a fantastic chapter for the history of humanity. What he's in relation to sin and God. He says, when they knew God, meaning there was a point when they knew God, they chose not to know God, okay? Thus, therein is the problem. We know God. In fact, John 1.9 says, Jesus is the light, the light's the heart of every man that comes into the world. An atheist is a liar. An atheist knows there's a God. They're just being obstinate, okay? And they've convinced themselves to be that way. The fact is, Paul said, when they knew God, they chose not to know God, and began this downward path, which takes them all the way to destruction. And it takes them to a point where God turns them over to their sin, and then they really don't know God, okay? So go on and read that, and you'll see. So sorcerers and daughters, and finally liars, Satan is the, is the father of all lies, Jesus said. He's the father of all liars. And uh, so liars and those who live a false life certainly have no place in the, in the new Jerusalem in God's eternal kingdom. Now, that's kind of a downer, isn't it? That's kind of, boy, you read that list and you think, yuck, man, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of bad stuff. But listen, here's the good news. You ready? Watch, listen. Everybody online, put your coffee down. Listen. Jesus forgives sin. Amen. It's good news. Doesn't, you could be in all of them. You could be in all that. You could be, you know, whatever it is. Doesn't matter. Be in every sin in the book. If you'll, if you'll come to Jesus, confess your sin to him, give him your heart. Say, God, I want you to forgive me and I want to be saved. He'll save you right now. Listen, you can go from, in this moment right now, isn't this amazing? You can make an eternal decision right now. You can go from being excluded from the New Jerusalem and God's eternal kingdom. You can be saved by faith in Jesus and go from being excluded to being included right now in a second, in a moment. That's a good deal. You won't get a better deal. So if you're watching or here today and some sin is eating your lunch and you're not sure you're saved, you need to come to Jesus. You say, well, don't I have to get rid of that stuff before I come to Jesus? No, that's the beauty of it. Listen, no, come to Jesus just like you are. Ask him to forgive you, and then God, the Holy Spirit, will begin to work in your, high, in your life and begin to get rid of that stuff. If you, want to, if you really come to God and you mean business, he'll deliver you from whatever it is that has you in bondage because Jesus is in the business of setting people free. So I want to encourage you today. If you're, if you're in that group that isn't going to be uh, in the New Jerusalem, you can be in the New Jerusalem. You just have to come to Jesus, and I would encourage you uh, to do it right now. Don't wait, okay? Now, for the rest of our time, let's look at the description of this New Jerusalem. And that was, the, that was the really stuff that gets at your heart in the first part. But look at this for us who are saved. Beginning in verse 9, uh, look down to verse 11. Now John said, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came and talked to me. Now pause there for a minute. I just think that's really cool. 
he takes the time to identify, hey, this is one of the angels that was doing the thing during the tribulation. He had the, one of the bowls and was pouring them out on. Well, the angel's still there. He did that job, and now his job is to give, to give John a tour of the New Jerusalem. So notice what it says. This angel came to me saying in verse 9, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, uh, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now I wrote in my notes, John gets a tour. Man, this must have been some tour. Wouldn't you like to have that tour? It would have been good. So he takes John up on this, on this high mountain um, so that he can, he can see this thing. And uh, he said it's like the bride uh, of the lamb coming. Now, we know the term bride refers to the church. It's called that because we're going to live there. However, the new Jerusalem is not restricted to just the church. It is all the saved of all of humanity. But he still says it's like a bride adorned uh, for her spouse coming down. And it describes a relationship we have with God as a church and as a redeemed who will live in a city. The one thing you need to really understand about this, this new city is that city is going to center around God's relationship with us and our relationship with him and our fellowship with him and our worship of him and our service of him. Now, he says also that this city has the glory of God in it. A couple of thoughts there. Number one, later in the chapter you're going to find out, and we're not going to get there this morning, that in the new creation of the universe there's no sun, there's no moon, and there's no stars. And you say, well, where does the light come from? It comes from God. In other words, his glory inside of this city is going to light the whole universe. It's, the whole universe is going to be lighted by God's glory in this city. Now, what's significant about that? Well, the glory of God, unimpeded, meaning not restricted in any way because we, can, we have our new bodies and we can be in the presence of God's glory without being destroyed, unlike now. God will shine his glory without any reservation. We'll be able to see it, and we'll be able to dwell in it. And we'll be able to enjoy his glory as it shines. Now, let me jump ahead real quick here because we're going to read it in our last few minutes here. This new Jerusalem is made up of, of some really expensive jewelry. Uh, the crystal thing here, the, the jasper comes from a word that means translucent. It's like a diamond, okay? So this whole city, John says, as it comes down, it looks like this humongous diamond. It's so bright and shiny and twinkly with the glory of God. He said, it looks like a diamond. And you're going to find out in a minute when we read it that the, the foundations and the walls and the, and, the, and the gates are pearls. Think about this, and the streets are gold and they're translucent. It's, it's gold like glass, so you can see through it. Think about the, the, the brilliance of God's glory shining through all that stuff in that city in the darkness of space. Ain't never been nothing like it. Won't ever be anything else like it. I think the city is going to be breathtakingly beautiful with the light refracting out of all of those and his glory shining. That's what John's seeing. He says, man, it, it, it's, it's magnificent. The glory of God is shining out of it. And he describes it there as a jasper stone, crystal, clear as crystal. Uh, the Greek word there means translucent. It means the light's going to shine through it. Now, very quickly, look at the exterior of the city and the foundations in verses 12 to 21. Also, she had a great and high wall. Every city has a wall. has a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. 
That is an awesome thing in itself. And I don't have time to, to get into every detail of this. Twelve gates around this city and an angel posted at every gate. Think of going in and out of that gate every day. Hey, Gabriel. Hey, Michael. Good to see you. I don't know what the angel's name is going to be, but I suspect you'll know. You'll know the angel when you go out of the gate. You'll see him. He's hanging out there. I don't know why he's hanging out there. Maybe he's watching over who comes in and out of the city. I don't know. But the Bible says there's an angel at every gate. All right? Notice what it says. And the names of the 12 tribes of children of Israel are on the gates. Now, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. It's symmetrical. Verse 14, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Verse 15, and he who walked with me, this angel, had a golden reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. Verse 16, the city is laid out in a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. It's a cube. Some try to say it's a pyramid. It ain't a pyramid. It's a cube, okay? Notice verse 18. The construction of its walls was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. So it's pure gold, but it's transparent. It's, it, you can see through it. And you think, wow, there's no prophecy in heaven. You're not going to need prophecy in heaven, okay? No, no reason to have prophecy in heaven. Everything's open. Everything's open to see. Look at verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Verse 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Hmm, that's a big old pearl. Each individual's gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And let me just make some highlights, observations here. Number one, it had 12 gates. And uh, the 12 tribes of Israel are written on those gates. And the layout, three on each side, commemorates kind of how Israel was stationed around the uh, tabernacle, right? When they were traveling, all the tribes were around. This certainly commemorates for eternity God's covenant with Israel. Names on the gates. Angels standing at the gates. Twelve foundations that the walls sit on with all this jewelry in it. Names of the twelve apostles on the foundation. That, again, is commemorating the church and the relationship Jesus has with his church's bride and that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. The Bible says that as they taught and laid the foundation of the church and the, and the twelve apostles, their names. And then the size of the city. I know you've heard this before, but let's talk about it very quickly. The city is massive. It's four square. It's a cube. 12,000 furlongs literally comes from a term of stadia. And without doing all the math for you, basically 600, 607 to 630 feet in a stadia, depending on which measurement. If you take the larger measurement, it means, listen to me, it means that each wall is 1,500 miles long. So 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. That's a big city. I didn't do the math to figure out the square footage in that, but I suspect your mansion's going to be pretty big. That's what I'm saying. And I suspect we're not going to be crowded in there. In fact, let me give you some, some relative idea. Probably if you were to set that size city on the United States, it would take up two-thirds of the United States, all the way from Canada to the Gulf Coast, from Colorado to the East Coast, 1,500 miles in each direction, that would be the size of the city. That's how big it's going to be. Plenty of space for you and I to hang out in the New Jerusalem. 
plenty of space for all the saved people from all of humanity to hang out in the New Jerusalem with Jesus. Now, the walls. He said the, he, he measures the walls are 144 uh, cubits, which is 72 yards thick. And then the list of precious stones. Again, we don't have time to get in this deep, but think about a couple of things as we close. Heaven, as we talk of heaven, is not this nebulous place, ethereal spirits hanging out, you know, maybe plucking on a harp, hanging out, sitting on a cloud. That's all false. Heaven in the presence of God is a real place. It's real. The New Jerusalem is a magnificent city that I believe is already built. I believe it's already built and waiting to come. Jesus, Jesus said, I'm going to go back and prepare a place for you. How long do you think it takes Jesus to build something? Like he speaks and, and it's there, right? He created a universe. God said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. You know. So God speaks. The only, by the way, it only, it, it, the reason God created for six days and it rested on the seven wasn't because it took him six days to build everything, okay? He did that and, and set a pattern for us. It, so that's a whole other message. But the point is, God creates by, by speaking. Jesus created the new Jerusalem, and I believe it's there in all of its beauty waiting to come uh, when it's time for it to come. So let me close with this. To, to be saved, to be born again by faith in Jesus Christ, is the, the, the promises and the hope and the glory that we have in Jesus Christ can't adequately be described. If you're lost this morning and you've never been saved for the life of me, I don't know why you wouldn't want to be saved right now. I mean, I, I, listen, I know the world's, the world's blinds people to the truth, but if you understand that only those who are saved, the overcomers in Jesus, are going to be in that city forever, for eternity, and that the alternative is to spend eternity in the lake of fire, you should get saved today. There's nothing in this world worth dying and going to hell over. Nothing, nothing. Not, not a girlfriend, uh, you know, an adulterous affair, money, pleasures, drugs, none of that stuff. None of those lifestyles are worth going to hell over. So would you come to Jesus today? Would you ask him to save you? Would you pray to receive Christ today? Let's pray together. God, thank you for this magnificent promise that we have to be in the new Jerusalem one day, to live with you forever. God, the human mind can only begin to even comprehend all that you have promised. Lord, maybe that's why you said that uh, the things that you have in store for those who are yours uh, is beyond human imagination. Uh, so, God, we thank you. Lord, maybe today online somebody's watching this video. Maybe they're watching it live right now, uh, and they need Jesus. I pray right now, God, they would just surrender their heart to you and ask you to save them, God, that they would come to you by faith and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Save me right now. God, maybe somebody in this room in the balcony or down here, Lord, they've played the Christian game for a long time and maybe they do stuff in church, Lord, but they're not really saved because their lifestyle, Lord, says that they love the world more than they love you. And I pray for them, God. I pray if they need to be saved, they'd be saved today. God, help us to understand. Draw us close to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing uh, this song. If I can pray with you or help you, you come on the first verse. I'll be glad to help you.